Welcome to Pursue Ministries. You're listening to Men's Fraternity Session 1, State of Manhood. The speaker is Bill Howard. Let me just tell you who I am. Again, my name is Bill Howard, and I have been in Nashville since 1994. And we do things just like this. We try to create safe places for guys to put their faith together. And we do it in all kinds of places. We do it in offices, businesses, restaurants, homes. Uh, anywhere where we can get guys together to begin to think about who they are, who God is, and what part do those two things play in a guy's life. Okay? And uh, I am a husband of one wife, you'll be glad to know. I've got four boys, uh, 17, 16, 13, and 11. Here's what I want to do this morning. Uh, we're on a masculine journey here, guys. And I want to ask you a question, and the question is this very simple and yet incredibly profound. And here's the question. What is a man? Some of you right now look like deer staring into a headlight. And you're going, uh, I'm not quite sure how to answer that. It seems too broad. And yet it ought to be rather simple if you think about it. Here's the problem today in the American journey for men. If we don't know the answer to what a man is, then how do we know what a man does? And in the Bible, there's a very particular passage where the Apostle Paul said, when I was a child, I used to think, act, and reason as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And so here's a guy who distinctly knew a transition point from boyhood to manhood. And there's really no clear transition for us as guys in America today, is there? So here's the question, guys. Since we sort of sat there and said, I'm not sure exactly how to answer the question, what is a man? Then even furthermore, I'd ask you this. When did you become one? And it becomes even more foggy. Did you become a man when you got your driver's license? Graduated from high school? Got married? In an unfortunate sense, slept with your first girl, got drunk the first time, graduated from college, got married, whatever, right? In other words, I'm not sure when I became a man because ultimately I'm not sure what a man is. So this is what we're going to do, guys. This is what you'll get in this class. You will get a very clear, distinct definition so if anybody ever again asks you in a group what a man is, you'll be able to raise your hand and very succinctly give them a very clear definition because that's what you're going to walk out of here with. Okay? And the reason why it's so important is because uh, there's not a guy in this room that likes to walk through life not knowing something. And unfortunately, there's a lot of guys in America today bumping through life not knowing. And unfortunately... Men are confused today. So that's where we want to go. Uh, look here in your notes. The current state of masculine confusion. And that is, is that men today are in a state of confusion. And a lot of the journey for a guy is sort of like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. Now this isn't an elaborate puzzle. In fact, it's pretty simple. But... If you imagine putting together a jigsaw puzzle, you can see there's a number of pieces in here. And if I throw these pieces out on the floor and I say, okay, guys, put together the puzzle. 
hopefully one of the first questions you're going to ask is, well, what does it look like? Because putting together a jigsaw puzzle without the box top is very difficult. Or if you imagine trying to put together a jigsaw puzzle with the wrong box top, it's even more frustrating. And that's why I think, guys, that a lot of men get confused because they get into a place where you graduate from high school, college, you get out of college, you get into life, and then all of a sudden you're not sure exactly how the pieces fit. And when you're trying to make things work, maybe you get married and all of a sudden your marriage isn't working right, you get kids, you're not sure what to do with them, and they start going off course and you get frustrated and discouraged and disillusioned. And so a lot of men are confused. In life. And here's what happens with confused guys. Uh, we tend to have four general words when men are confused, four basic words that I just think describe where men are today. The first word we're going to use is the word pain. And that is that there's a lot of men today who are in pain. If you ask a guy, uh, even as you walked in the room this morning, maybe one of the questions you ask is, how are you doing today? And what's usually the first word that comes out of a man's mouth? Fine, right? Which, uh, for a lot of guys, if he could be honest, could be an acrostic for freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotionally unstable. <laughs> because he's really not doing fine. And in fact, if he could be real honest with you, if he could share some of what's going on because a lot of men what we do is we put on a hard exterior and act as though things are really fine but deep inside sometimes when we're all by ourselves driving the car sitting on the toilet um, out on a hunting stand uh, working at your desk with the door closed wondering about life because there's a lot of guys who have some unfinished business that's attached to their dad, to a mom, to a coach, to an event, perhaps a vice that has gripped them, and they're not sure how to get away. And so in the 20s, what guys do is we bury our pain in activity. But what happens when a guy starts bumping into his 30s, uh, you can't bury nuclear waste very long. Because all that pain gets stuffed into a container in your heart. And after a while, when you get into your 30s, it starts seeping out. And guess who it starts seeping out on? A wife and children. Because they're the ones that are going to be affected by living with a confused man. second word I'd use to describe where guys are today is the word disappointment. A lot of guys are disappointed... Uh, because the older they get, there tends to be, especially in the American male, a general malaise that moves over a man's life with regard to his experience. <clears throat> and it's sort of the phrase that somebody came up with, been there, what? Done that. And a guy tends to start getting bored. Uh, unfortunately, what happens today... Uh, a good part is that men become successful. Unfortunately, they become successful so early, oftentimes much quicker than their father ever thought about being. And now they sit there and they go, okay, now what? Now what am I supposed to do? And so what's happened is men have a sort of emptiness deep inside and all they're left to do now is to fill it up 
with experiences, events, or things. But even the older a guy gets, that stuff does not satisfy the thirst or the hunger deep within a man's heart that's deeper than what external things can give. And so men are disappointed generally. Uh, This is not what I thought. A lot of guys are told in what we would call a one dimension of manhood, and that's that a guy is told that he can find life in what he does, in what he does. And it's amazing because uh, today, most men, the way we relate is by function. In fact, if you met somebody new today, probably one of the first questions out of your mouth was, when you met somebody, was what question, guys? What do you do? Because the way the American male has been uh, moved through life is to think this way. You are a human doing. And you're evaluated on what you do. That's how we literally determine whether I'm going to move toward a guy even further because of what maybe he does. And we distinguish or uh, measure a guy on what he does. And so what happens is guys may do something very significant. And they work really hard. And maybe they achieve a certain status. Maybe you're 20. And you thought, hey, listen, if I work really hard into my 30s at 40, I can get to the place in the company where I'm the chief executive officer or whatever. And you're thinking, if I can get that office, that's going to give me freedom and security. But if you talk to a guy who's 40 or so, who's in that office, he ain't going to tell you this is freedom and security. In fact, a lot of guys that are sitting in those offices, every day they walk into that office, you know what's written over the door? Ichabod. You know what the word Ichabod means, guys? The glory has departed. (laughs) Because now he knows why they pay that guy so much money. Because there's required of him a certain degree of responsibility and time and effort to make sure that whoever's sitting in that office is doing the job right. And it cost him something to get there. And so there's just sort of this disappointment that a lot of guys have. Third word I'd use to describe where men are today, and that's the word loneliness. A lot of guys are just lonely. A lot of guys just want a friend. Um, Paul Simon had a song one time. It's called, I am a rock and I am an island. That's where a lot of guys are. They just sort of... Uh, feel like they're on a solo voyage out there on their own. Uh, Unfortunately, um, many men, once they leave their schooling experience, whether it's high school or college, they're kind of on their own, aren't you? Once you get out, you're kind of on your own. And maybe you leave a fraternity, maybe you leave an athletic uh, team, and now you're in, quote, the real world. And now you're not having people who are cheering for you. Rather, you've got other guys who are competing against you. So you start holding your cards pretty close to the vest. Because you don't want to unveil or convey a sense of weakness or an unknowingness about life. So guys sort of get on this very quiet solo voyage. And today a lot of men... Uh, The modern man finds himself with a lot of success. He knows a lot of people. But unfortunately, he's not known by 
None. Um, he has a lot of friends, but he de- they're all very surface. And so a lot of guys feel pretty lonely. Third or fourth word I'd use, guys, to describe where we are today is the word regress. And that is when a guy has pain, he feels a certain sense of disappointment. Hey, bro, you need a, you need a manual? Okay. Yeah, grab your manual there if you don't mind. Uh, but when a guy feels a certain degree of pain, disappointment, and he's lonely, here's what he does. Usually around, and it's the proverbial midlife crisis. Usually around late 30s, early 40s, so 35 to 45, a guy starts feeling this real deep sense of, like, something's got to change. And it's where guys freak out. They do some amazing things. By the way, you'll learn here, guys, that every guy is going to go through that. Some of you guys, I can see, probably are there or have been there. Or if you're not, you're getting ready to get there. But here's the thing. Guys, when they get to this place where they feel deeply the sense that the grave now is a little bit closer. If you take a 40-year-old man and you double his life, that makes him 80. I don't know too many 80-year-old guys. So his life is half over. And all of a sudden, he realizes he can't shoot the basketball like he used to. He doesn't have the same legs he used to. He doesn't have the same energy he used to. His body's getting older. He's losing his hair. Uh, Gravity has located his body and the the, the sands of time have shifted. And he looks in the mirror and he's going, you know what, there's nothing much there to to be attracted to. And he's just kind of feeling all that. I'm going to die. And then he goes like this. I don't like this feeling because for that guy, the future is not very clear. So the only thing he's got is the past. So he regresses. And that's where a lot of guys in about that age of life do crazy things. They divorce their wife. They go chase a younger girl. They get into an affair. They do something financially. They go buy some crazy stuff. Why? They're trying to recapture a sense of feeling youthful, energetic. Uh, A place where a girl may look at you and go, I wonder if she still thinks I'm something. Make sense? So guys regress. And so you think about it. When you were younger, you were in college. Maybe you had a sense of fraternity. You had other guys. And, uh, you know, and, and when you're in college, you're, let's say you're in an intramural team or a, a college team or a high school team, and, and you scored a touchdown, and what do the other guys do? Everybody runs and high-fives you. They might even slap you on the butt. It's probably not going to happen in an office building today, right? <laughs> be a little strange. But you know what? There's part of you that misses that. You miss that because it's not there anymore. It was not like it used to be. And so guys feel very frustrated and it results in a confused man. Okay? So what happens then is because men are in a state of confusion, number one here, confused men create major problems. They create major problems. Uh, And that is that when a man is confused, if you think about it, the newspapers are filled mostly with stories about confused men. An athlete that does something crazy. A politician that does something crazy. And we all go, 
Can you believe that? And that could be us. Confused men create problems. Most problems in marriage counseling are a result of a man who has circled life in himself to be self-centered, childish, and irresponsible. That's where most problems in marriage occur, is when the guy is confused. Not the wife, the guy. Uh, A great deal of kids' struggles today relates not back to mom, but to a dad who is absent, neglectful, deadbeat, and maybe even abusive. That's where most problems are going to trace back. There was a nun who, in a prison, put together a Mother's Day card. Every prisoner sent out a card to their mother on Mother's Day. So successful, she thought, I'm going to do the same thing for Father's Day. Put together a Father's Day card. Not one card left the prison to their daddies. See, most problems, guys, trace back to the man in the home. 90% of all crime is a result of men. Do you know that? Uh, 91% of all family violence is a result of a man. Every time you lock your doors at night, it's not because you're afraid of some woman (laughs) breaking in and beating you up. Right? Some guy somewhere has lost his way. Uh, 100% of all rapes, 100% of all rapes are a result of men. Um, Every time a police officer pulls a car over that's swerving, 94% of the time, there's going to be a man behind the wheel of that car. Confused men create major problems. Margaret Mead said this, who was an anthropologist, she said, the central problem of every society is is to define appropriate roles for men in that society. Um, Garrison Keillor, who is a humorist, said, these are not good times for guys. It seems like manhood now is a problem to overcome rather than a status of honor to obtain. It used to be, uh, years ago, Men were men. Today, uh, at least some of you guys are too young to remember this, but in the 1970s, what happened is in the 1950s after World War II, all the men came back from war. But while they were gone, the women in our culture ran the country. And when men came back, they were trying to reestablish a traditional role. And you had those sort of idealistic 50s. It was Father Knows Best and those sorts of things. And it had women with an apron on sweeping out the kitchen and appliances for her home. And and that worked for a while. But here's the thing. Women will, will never again enjoy what it was they did enjoy in a relationship with a guy. Because now what happened after the World War II is that women realized, you know what, I can do stuff. And when men came back into the home... There became this war between men and women. And in the 1960s, our culture gutted roles. And if you don't remember, there there were songs that came out like, uh, it was a song called Love the One You're With. Remember that one? How's that sound? And it was this idea, it was free love. It was the hippie movement. It was, you know what? There is no order. Let's create a new 
world order with regard to manhood, womanhood. And that went on through the 1960s. There was a lot of debates going on. The feminist movement took over. And then what happened in the early 1970s, if some of you guys remember, if you were a man, you were called, if you even raised your head to say, hey, listen, I'm a man, you were called a male. Anybody can remember that, guys? You did not even speak. You'd get your head cut off. There were women like Helen Reddy that sang a song. I am woman, hear me roar. I am too big to ignore. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about women, guys. I'm just telling you, we're in a culture that's on a rocket ship sociologically with regard to the confusion of men and women today that's untested. And so there's a tremendous amount of confusion. And because of that, if you look at 1964... When we decided as a culture to say we no longer want to allow God in our schools. And I'm just telling you guys, it's amazing if you look at this sociologically. In 1964, from 64 on to today, everything skyrocketed. Divorce, teen suicide, drug abuse, rape, violence, so on. It's on we're, I'm telling you, we're on a rocket ship. A society out of control. We have the worst marriages in America in the world. Did you know that? In America, in the world. Statistically. Why? Because confused men create major problems. And then what happens when a man is confused? A confused man settles for less. He settles for less. Uh, Rollo May, who was an old psychologist, <coughs> said this. He said, uh, develop, we're developing uh, the generation here in modern man. He said, the clearest picture of an empty life that I know is the suburban man, the modern man. It's the man who gets up at the same hour every weekday morning, takes the same car to work, performs the same task at the office, lunches at the same place, leaves the same tip for the waitress, comes home in the same car each night, spends a two-week vacation at the shore every summer, which he doesn't really enjoy, goes to church every Christmas and Easter, moves through a routine mechanical existence year after year until finally he retires somewhere around age 65 and very soon thereafter dies of heart failure, possibly because of repressed hostility. He goes on to say, I've always had a secret suspicion, however, that he dies simply of boredom because all he knew was work. There was nothing beyond that because he was confused. And so most of us are raising the thought in this modern era that suggests that life for a man is found in not who he is but what he does. And it's in his work. And a lot of us as men are stuck in a conventional view of manhood. And that is, or maybe a one-dimensional view. And that is that men are pressed toward one place in America and that's toward work and success, work and success, work and success, and they're both intertwined. Now, what happens if a guy works and he's, quote, not successful and he's 40? Then what's he going to do? Because if his definition of success is work, what if he doesn't achieve it? What if he does achieve it and he doesn't feel a sense of success? And see, because he's pressed only one dimension... 
But I'm telling you, life is a lot broader than just what you do. And so this vision is so powerful that a young man picks up it on an early age and he becomes very anxious in obtaining a vocational experience that he will call his career that he'll truly give his life to. Now guys, I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong with work. I'm just trying to tell you there's a lot more in the masculine journey than work. Because confused men will settle just for work and nothing more. Okay? So what is the reason for this uh, confusion? So if you look at it here, some of it has to do with society. Some of this confusion has to do with society. And in our society, we are or have been over the past hundred years in a sense of a revolution of sorts. It started, uh, I'm going to say, perhaps in a spiritual revolution back in the late 1800s. There were two key figures, a guy named Frederick Nietzsche, who started the God is Dead movement, and that God is irrelevant, especially the Christian worldview concept of God. Well, there have always been a lot of guys like that, but generally speaking, a guy back in the late 1800s in America, because we are a Judeo-Christian culture, at least the founding of our country, a guy back in the 1800s who did not believe in God acted more, guys, like a Christian man, even though he might not even have believed in God. Why? Because the culture was so inundated with a worldview that had to do with the Judeo-Christian value system. And so what happened is, Nietzsche said, hey, this God is no longer relevant. Well, here's what gave feet to that guy's philosophy. It was a guy named Charles Darwin. And Charles Darwin came along and started a theory. And the theory was, is that man is in a perpetual state of evolution and is constantly moving to a higher state, which then from a theoretical point of view must have meant he came from a lower state. And they went all the way back to a primordial pond and said, man has come from a single-celled amoeba. And over the course of billions of years, has evolved in this amazingly complex creature. Now, guys, just remember that's still a theory. But a lot of people believe it is fact because here's what happened. Science then all of a sudden had an argument for the non-existence of God. Hey, everything is actually in a humanistic transitional place, not a theological And so what happened in our culture is the result was a new thought that God is irrelevant and he could be explained away because Darwin gave a a reason for people not to believe in him. And there was a transference of trust from divine revelation to human ingenuity. And what fueled that was the industrial revolution. Because at the turn of the century, we started creating cars and electricity and It's amazing, isn't it, guys, the technology in the last hundred years of what we have discovered about life, last hundred years of human ingenuity. And so what happens is it all produced this new optimism in man, what we could do. And so here's what happened in the Industrial Revolution. Men began to move away from an agrarian culture, farms, to where? The cities. 
And at that point, they began to chase that elusive American dream where a man could become the captain of his own destiny. And he could find life out there, away from my home. And guys, major damage was done because when dad left the home, he's been gone ever since. Really, he's been gone ever since. And so as men were seduced out of the home into the workplace, men were stunned and exhausted. They were coming home at five. If you th- guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but the eight to five kind of work week is a human experience that's rather rare to all of human history. Did you know that? It's very distinct to America. You eight to five. Man, if you're not working from eight to five, I'm telling you, you're missing the boat. You are not achieving success in your work. Right? And so what happened is guys are stunned. They're exhausted. They're coming home at 5 or 6 or 7, depending upon how a guy works. And all of a sudden he's got a wife and children who are now in that home circling around him like buzzards. Looking for something that he is unwilling or unable to give. Which is life. And those people in that guy's life, there's nobody in your life that's more significant and important to you than those people. And I'm going to illustrate that here. I've got two balls here. And uh, I'm going to ask you a question, and that is, what is the difference between these two balls? They look pretty much the same, don't they? They're actually not. They're very different. This ball is a baseball. This ball actually isn't a baseball at all. It's a wiffle ball just got a baseball covering. Now, if I throw it really hard, you're not afraid of it. Why? There's nothing on the inside. It has no impact. It's a wiffle ball. And you know what, guys? It's a great picture of a lot of men. A lot of men have the covering of being a man, but they're wiffle ball men. Now, by the way, if you're a wiffle ball, the last thing you want to do is get off the bench and into the game. Why? Because when you get into the game and you're hit, what's everybody going to know about who you are? You're a wiffle ball. And see, wiffle ball guys sit on the sideline. They sit on the bench. When they get home at night, a lot of men are like the invisible man. They wrap themselves up in the identity of who they are as a man in their work. And they might be significant and powerful and important. And then we walk home, I'm telling you, and go into that home. Their wife and children don't give a rip about what they do. People listen to them at work, but not at home. And, and they get frustrated. How come she's not giving me the respect I deserve? And how come my kids aren't listening to me? Like at work. You know why people listen to you at work, guys? Because they're paid to. <laughs> but see, guys wrap themselves up in the identity of who they are, and then they walk home, and they unwrap. And they become the invisible man. And, and your kids and your wife feel your presence, but... But you're a wiffle ball. You're on the bench. You're uninvolved. And they're wanting life. Now, by contrast, this ball is a real ball. Ooh, in fact, if I throw this ball really hard and you don't catch it, it could probably kill you. Because there's something on the inside of this ball that creates for it impact. Something of substance. You see, guys, I don't think there's a man in this room 
that when you walk into the home that perhaps you started, you invited a woman, you impregnated her, you've got children. I don't think there's a guy in here that when you walk into your home, you don't want those significant people in your life and they see you go, you're the man. Dad's home. He's given direction, protection, provision, information, wisdom, love, affirmation. But see, guys, here's all I want to tell you. I think essentially there's two kinds of guys in the world. There's wiffle ball guys, and there's a lot of them. And they're confused, and they create major problems. Because sitting on the bench is not where it's at. There's a few baseball guys, and here's the deal. The goal in life as a man is to get bigger than a baseball. It's to be a medicine ball. That when you walk through a room, or with your family, or with your friends, they feel the impact of your existence. You are a life-giving soul. Why? Because you know why you're here and what it means to be a man. And it's not that there's still not a sense of confusion, but there's more clarity now than confusion. And that's what we need to do as guys. And so this society has left us uh, in a major state of confusion. And unfortunately, boys today are experiencing the result of that confusion. So, some of it also has to do with a manhood vision or a lack thereof. Uh, the vision that men have today, unfortunately, is not very clear. In Proverbs 29.18, the Bible says, Where there is no vision, the people are sure to perish. When there's no clear vision. When there's no revelation that's given to a man, no information outside of that man that's bigger, higher, that transcends him, then a man is condemned to self-delusion that all of life revolves around what he thinks. And unfortunately, when men get older, if, if he, his selfish life, becomes the only reason for existence, self becomes a circle that starts to shrink the older you get. And all of a sudden, you find yourself 60, 65... Somebody said retirement is the ability to do everything that means nothing. All you got to do is go to Florida and go into a golf course and talk to a guy who's about 70 years old. And all he's going to talk about is himself. Because that's all he's got. And he's lonely. He's in despair. He's living his life on a golf course. Are you kidding me? As though somehow that's where I want to go? It's incredible. The American dilemma we're in. And so this manhood vision we have is created for men a sense of out of control. Because men, essentially, guys are like warriors. And a warrior without a king is dangerous. We have to have a sense of direction and purpose of why we're here. We'll talk about some of that. So some of it has to do with society, some about um, manhood vision. But guys, a lot of it has to do with dad. A lot of the confusion has to do with dad, believe it or not. And that is that um, a lot of us grew up in homes where uh, dad was the head of the home, but you kind of knew who the neck was that turned the head. In other words, he was there but not there. Uh, my dad was present in one chair most of his life, right there in front of the television. 
Uh, a lot of dads are absent, either completely, either by death or divorce. They've left the family. And or dads are passive. The result then is that mom is left to mentor young boys. So young boys then grow up mostly in the world of seeing life through a feminine set of lens. The only glasses they have are moms. Dad's not really there. He's not involved. So men move through life softly. Uh, or dad was addicted with alcohol, drugs, pornography, and that's the vision you got. Or dad was abusive verbally, physically, sexually. Or you and you, your dad and your mom drafted you into an unholy alliance. There was a war at home. And they kept fighting and they would draft you into this and ask you to take sides. And you were trying to take sides from one to the other. Or maybe your dad left your mom and you were drafted in by your mom to be a surrogate husband. To her. And she became your best friend. And even today, when I'm talking about it, it kind of hurts your feelings that I'm even saying that. Because you love your mom. Why? Because dad wasn't there. And so here's the thing about guys, or dad's men, and that is that dad is destiny. The chromosomes of a man work its way into a zygote, and it determines whether that baby will be a boy or a girl. But what we're discovering is it's not just the dad's chromosome that determines the sexuality of a child. It's also the dad's presence. It's that powerful. Um, researchers talk about uh, the fact that uh, the primary influence for a man or a woman, a son or a daughter, in terms of masculinity and femininity, the primary influence of that is a dad. Did you know that? By the way, there's a rise today in our culture, if you've been aware of this, of the homosexual movement, both for men and women. It's everywhere. Do you know why? It's because of the disruption that's occurred in our family structure and the disillusioning that's occurred between uh, the boys and girls who've grown up in a world where they're confused. Why? Because dad's gone. I'm telling you, it's amazing, men, if you just read about this stuff and look at the statistics that are out there. Dad is destiny. So, we're going to talk about that. Uh, in fact, we're going to take two sessions uh, next week and the following week just to talk about our dads and the impact of our dads. And you'll find as you go through here that for many of you, uh, some of you had great dads, but for many of you, you're going to have to wrestle with some of the stuff concerning your dad. So here's what we're going to do, men, uh, and let me just end with this. Authentic manhood revolves around three critical issues. The first critical issue that uh, manhood's going to revolve around is addressing the wounds of our past. Number one, what do we mean by wound? Uh, we mean that a wound is an unresolved issue whose lack of closure impacts in some way the quality of your life. A wound essentially like this is like a cut that's not healed. It's just sort of oozing. It's got staph infection, but it's in your veins and it's still affecting you today. So number two, here's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack the past. Now some of you go, I'm feeling uncomfortable about that. 
I have my undergrad degree in psychology and my master's in theology. Uh, I am not, I wouldn't consider myself an expert, but I have done a little study about this, so I will uh, tenderly work through this with you guys, but I'm telling you, there's a Greek philosopher who once said, an unexamined life is a life not worth living. If you've never stopped and reflected about your life, uh, I'm telling you, you're hurt as a man. And you're hurting those people around you if you're married and have children. So I'm just telling you guys, be strong and courageous and wade into it. Okay? And so, unpacking the past, five wounds that men must deal with. Number point A, the first one is the absent father wound. And with regard to the absent father wound, um, I've got an old suitcase here. And this old suitcase is about 100 years old, by the way, guys. And it's kind of like a guy's life. And in a guy's life, we've got some of this past stuff, old stuff, sitting there. And this uh, absent father wound is maybe a, a little boy who sat there, and this man might represent a little boy who had his face pressed against the window every night about 5, 36 o'clock, wanting dad to throw the baseball to him. And it could represent all kinds of things. But dad didn't do it. He was either unable to do it or unwilling to do it because he was exhausted. I'm just telling you, that left in that little boy's heart, which may be you, an emptiness, a sense of, I'm not sure what it looks like to act, think, and reason as a man, because my man, my dad, I never really got involved with him much, wasn't very close to him, he was never there, or other issues as we talked about. Another thing uh, is the actual overly bonded with mother wound, that's the second one we're going to address, and that's represented here by a uh, care package. You know, mom loves to give us care package. You know, you probably got one when you left for college. You know, she probably put things in your care package, food and goodies. But here's the thing. What's amazing about this care package, in other words, if you have a relationship with your mom where she's your best friend, you love her because she loves you. She cares about you. And you have this idea that like your mother, women are there for you. And you get married with that idea. And you marry a woman and you had this idea, just like your mom, mom was there for me. She took care of me. She pampered me. She rubbed my back. She did my homework for me when I couldn't do it. She called people when I, didn't, when I needed somebody to call on my behalf. She took care of me. And here's the thing, guys. Your mom may have left you with a care package, but guess what's inside that care package? It's a little pipe bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Because when you get married, that thing explodes. And your wife is going, the last thing I want to do is be your mother. Because what she wanted to marry was a man, not a little boy. Um, another thing that we lack is a masculine vision wound. And this is, a, this is actually my dad's in recognition, distinguished service. Soil conservation, my father. Guess who's got this today? I do. Guess where it sits most of the year? Inside of that thing right there. My dad worked really hard to get that plaque. A plaque? Are you kidding me? I give my life for a plaque? Or a watch? Or a vacation? Talk about settling for less. See, that's a lack of a masculine vision. 
And then, guys, uh, the idea of a lack of men and mentors. When, you know, if you've ever lifted weights, guys, uh, the one thing you don't do if you're going to lift free weights is what? You don't do it alone. you got to have a spotter. But a lot of guys are lifting weight alone. And I'm telling you, when that bar comes down and crushes your chest, and again, it may be something that you're involved in you ought not to be involved in. Maybe it's a decision you made in the vacuum of your own soul, apart from other men looking at you going, why are you doing that? But you did it anyway because they weren't there to tell you not to do it. And now you're uh, adjusting because of the consequences of a stupid choice. Because there was no other guys or mentors in your life to help oversee what you're doing. So men move through life alone. And then lastly here, guys, is the depravity wound, and that's the, the black heart. And the depravity wound, the last wound, is the black heart, and that is that some of what you do and why you do what you do, and I do what I do, is a result of our nurture. Mom, dad, lack of men, mentors, so on. But most of why I do what I do is not a result of my nurture. It's actually a result of my nature. It's not a wound outside of me. It's actually a wound inside of me. And the Bible talks a lot about this. It's called the depravity wound. We all have a black heart. We're going to talk about that too and how to suture that thing up. Okay? Again, we're centering around three issues. We're going to talk about wounds and we're going to establish a clear and compelling vision to direct our future. We're going to create a new and workable plan to think through your life. And so here's some promises we're going to make to you for those who finish. Point A, you will have a clear definition of manhood. B, you will make some significant personal discoveries about yourself. Mark Twain once said, men are like the moon. We all have a dark side. C, you will make new friends who are pursuing a common goal. And then D, you will have a personalized plan for achieving manhood. C.S. Lewis once said, He who plans for this life but fails to plan for the next is a hero for the moment, but a fool forever. So guys, I just want to tell you that part of the journey as a man is it goes beyond the grave. It really does. In fact, I would say this. The best way to know how to live is to know how you're going to die. How about that? A workable plan that will transcend time. That's what you're going to get out of here.